So I'm just uh, talking a little bit about the personal side of this building, which is extremely personal when it happened. One thing I am going to say at the beginning is rather encouraging for people who might be losing competitions or not getting exactly what they want immediately. If Ray had not become second in one competition that he did before this building came up for competition, he would never have had the chance to do it. So if you become second or third, sometimes that might be the best thing that could happen to you. And they were saying that uh, he wanted to show all the craftsmanship possible at a time when people thought there was no craftsmanship left in England, that elsewhere they knew how to do things. Well, this is very important, not only to have the material, but to have the craftsmanship that would deal with the material well. And one of the most incredible things about the building of this was the feeling from everybody, with people who were working with wood, bricks, whatever the material, that they were working for one cause. It was a very, very personal and remarkable feeling, much more, I imagine, like the cathedrals used to be, where people would work in families and groups and would last for several generations. But the feeling was remarkable. They all cared about this building. And I remember my husband one day thought perhaps I had overdone this caring because it was a very hot day. And I arrived with an enormous amount of ice cream to give to the workmen. And he said, no, English workmen drink tea there. They don't drink ice or take ice cream. However, it was great success. And it was all right. Uh, I noticed in the picture that on the stairs leading up to the, far, the big hall, that there was a blank in a recess. They used to have large vases there because Gray was very anxious indeed that when there was a big ball or a formal occasion, it would be not left to decorating by the use of balloons and things of that sort. So these vases were put in and they were indirectly lit and they were supposed to have magnificent flowers and that was the whole decoration for, the, for these rooms. I know, I know that very well because I used to go and put the flowers in them very often and uh, I see they're not there anymore. But I imagine that balloons are not used too often. And also, <laughs> I, mean, I hope not, uh, the flood lighting of the exterior at that time was a very new thing. Bulbs were used to outline architectural features. And this uh, flood lighting was quite new and quite beautiful at night. Now I come to uh, the offices in the buildings in Portland Square before they were torn down and this building was put up. When they first moved in, there was a great outcry. This was not a street for commercial effort. Architects' offices were not to be here. So Gray arrived one day, and in the front window of the house, 
without curtain, he saw all his young men, his assistants, sitting there. One had a Scotch tam on, one had a high hat, battered, someone had a straw boulder. They all had weird hats, and he said, what are you doing? What does this mean? And they said, hush, we're eccentric noblemen, which they thought would solve the problem. They were like that. Whenever there was need in this place to get some more room, you just kind of uh, cut a hole in the wall and went into another house. But finally, even that was finished. Uh, they had to tear down the building. So Gray and I decided it was a moment to give a big party when we were moving. Naturally, all the best bits of the house had been taken away, the carvings, the fireplaces, and things of that sort. So there was nothing there of great value. So all our friends, when they came, they were given a saw, a hammer, an axe, and told they could go in any of the houses and break, cut, smash anything they wanted, because the next day they were going to come. It was a most remarkable party because evidently this wonderful feeling for destruction lies at the heart of all sorts of people. And they went around at every floor, you never heard such noise, and the alcoholic consumption was nil. They didn't need it. They were already doing things that were uninhibited. The only trouble was that when they finally broke down the walls so that you could see it all the way up Portland Square, being the kind of people we all were, we decorated some of the upstairs rooms. And subject to the view of the entire city was a very large painted giraffe with a rather domestic article, which is not usually seen in public, but more often in bedrooms, on the top of its head, which perhaps gave a wrong impression of the seriousness of the whole building. It was uh, a very good party. I don't think a party like that could be done again. Then uh, we moved to a dwarf house in Devonshire Mews. And the first thing the boys and everybody decided to do was to have a cricket game in the mews. And in the middle of that, along came a policeman. He can't do that there ear, he said. So what happened? He and his, I think they were coming twos, policemen usually. They had their helmets on the ground and were joining the cricket game very quickly. So it was, it was that kind of a place. Also, one night, we came back from having seen Tarzan for the first time, the old one, where he goes, whoa, 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 like that, you see. And when we came back to the little house, not one of the young architects would go to the front door. They climbed the house. And I went upstairs where there was a bed and, and started taking off my hat and things, and upside down with their faces looking in, at every window was one of the boys. It was not a good idea of taking them at all. We also, in the basement of that, this is all during the building, had a dining room, and we started family lunches. And uh, 
they'd have 12, 15 people who come in and have lunches there. And uh, I thought that crockery would not last very long. So in those days, I was able to go out and buy an entire pewter set of bowls and, and plates and everything, which was splendid, except that during the war afterwards, Gray and I would go up occasionally and spend a night there. And if you know what rationing was, I'd go down there and I'd have a huge frying pan and I'd have one little egg that we both were shared to put in the middle of it. And uh, everything was of enormous size and it was very pathetic what you could put in. I don't know what happened to the pewter, it's gone. Uh, one day, I remember when the, this building was going on, the steel girder that was, I don't know what point, you probably would know that, but it was the biggest steel girder, apparently, that was made at that time. And we got up at six and watched it coming up Portland Place, and it was very exciting. So there was a, quite a lot of very light-hearted work but going on, but people were really dedicated to it. On the other hand, as you have heard, there was a great deal of opposition to the building because it was not in the classical style. And there were some very important architects who disliked it so much. I will not name any names this time. But one of the men went to the King George and asked him not to open it because it was so against what they thought was the right style to have the building. And apparently that an angered him very much that anyone would dictate to him. And so he said, not only will I open it, but I will have Queen Mary come with me, which I thought was a very nice open attitude on his part. The day that they came, you saw the picture. I didn't remember it was raining, but why shouldn't it be? My, my daughter, who is I think five or six at the time, was to present the bouquet to the queen. And we coached her, Nanny and I. The queen comes, you get up, you make a little curtsy, and you hand the bouquet to the queen. So Nanny would come in and say, I'm the queen, what do you do, dear? And I'd come in and say, I'm the queen, darling, what do you do, sweetheart? And she got it perfectly. However, what we forgot was to mention the king. So when the moment came, when she came up and did her little job perfectly, he came up and he said, and how old are you, little girl? And she answered, five or what, six, and made no courtesy. And I think, go on, curtsy, dear. She wasn't having any with that. So at a very tender age, she snubbed the King of England, which I thought was rather extraordinary. Also, I found out, you saw from the picture, those two people on the column, the man and the woman. I found out quite a while afterwards that all the AA students called that Gray and Miriam on the column. It's rather a shock because I don't think they have clothes on. Then, because there was so much uh, discussion and criticism, especially of the fenestration of the, of the building, that Gray had made a very large clay model, oh, several feet high, and a lot of lumps of clay, and it was constantly had water thrown on it, so it was malleable. And any of the architects who wanted to come in and change the fenestration and make it differently could do that. 
I believe a few tried and then came back and decided it was all right the way it was. But it was a very good idea to do that. It helped a little bit. And then the, another great difficulty was that as the building was going up, windows were just holes, all sorts of rough material was there. All the uh, carpets and the furniture and the draperies had to be designed so at the last moment they'd be there. And of course the light was totally different. But it did start me off on a career of designing textiles because when I was looking through textiles, none of them were big enough in scale. So I kept saying, no, no. And finally, I said, well, Mrs. Werner, why don't you design it? So I did. And from then on, I did a lot of that. So you never know. A little criticism sometimes can help a lot. Then you may have noticed that in the uh, lobby, there's the, the bust, bronze bust of Gray. When it was finished, there was a little dinner, and Gray said, you know, it's very unusual that one is at a dinner in which you have your own bust. Usually that happens after you're dead. You don't go to dinners and uh, have to make a little speech about it. He said, I have nothing to say about it except one request. Please see if the ears are dusted and don't collect anything like dust. So that's all he managed to ask. Then another thing I could mention is that uh, the decoration in the, in the uh, library, which is blue for the, uh, for the bookcases and rather dirty yellow inside, was considered very advanced. The library was mahogany, period. And if you notice the lips, the green on the color, I don't know anybody who ever made so many color ideas as I did for gray. No, that's too dark. No, that's too light. No, and finally we got it. And uh, it, it was it really, it took ages to get that. He also had an idea that it would be nice to put cork inside the lips. But as pointed out, all architects have sharp little pen knives and they are dying to know what material will resist them. So I just, we all decided if it was cork, there would be nothing left very soon. Gray started, when he was very ill, he started writing his autobiography. And he got it up to the point where I came on the picture before he died. And I finished it. And uh, my daughter, Bridget Fletcher, has been editing it, and uh, we want to present it to the RIBA because it is a very personal one. And we have the first part, which is Gray's reminiscences of childhood uh, and uh, schooling and apprenticeship and the beginning of his architecture. 